Hello and welcome to season three of the Book Baby Spotlight podcast, your home for interviews with authors, illustrators, editors, and other industry insiders from the world of self-publishing. I'm your host, Sam Saddam. I'm the distribution manager here at Book Baby, and I'm joined by a new co-host, Jasmine Gale. Jasmine is a content creator, writer, and Book Baby's newest digital advertising specialist. Jasmine, how are you? Great, Sam. Glad to be here. Um, before anybody gets worried, Chad is still just going to be producing the episode, so he's still here. Don't worry about that. Uh, later on, we're going to have my conversation with Book Baby author Rob Anderson. But first, we wanted to tackle a topic that's important to me, and that's scam artists in the self-publishing space. Ooh, did you have anyone in mind? Uh, so I'm not going to name names, but I'd imagine if you're listening to our podcast, you've been around self-publishing spaces for a little while. and. You know, maybe you found some offers that sound too good to be true. Like instant bestseller. Let's start there. If someone is guaranteeing you that they will turn your book into a bestseller, you need to run. You don't walk away. Uh, Unless they're going to personally buy the books to make that happen. They just can't guarantee it. So you think bestseller status is more determined by like quality or like how would you do that? I mean, a lot of it is going to come down to marketing plan, you know, not not really so much quality. Uh, You know, there are bestsellers that you probably roll your eyes at when you look at them on there. But if you've got a name and a story, you know, it's not mm-hmm. that difficult to then, uh, you know, put that together. It just requires smart people doing the work and, and figure out how to sell a book. Uh, and when you look at the bestsellers nationally, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out John Bolton's book is going to sell well. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Michelle Obama's book, you know, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. only two or three books like that any year that's going to sell right. up in right. that stratosphere. Uh, and then you have a second tier that, that gets a little bit bigger and, and downwards from there. Uh, and then kind of, you know, at the bottom is self-published genre fiction uh, where you're going to have uh, what Mark McGurl in his book, Everything and Less calls the underlist. Uh, you know, this big group of books where they're read a handful of times ever, if at all. Hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to get stuck in that underlist at all. No, you don't want to be on the underlist. You know, you, you need to come up with clever marketing and promotions and, you know, get yourself up onto the top of, of that genre. And, you know, they have these very specific niche audiences to target. And mm-hmm. you know, once you get it just on top of one of those, uh, you're in, a, in better shape. Uh, and I think more importantly, though, you need to be working on your next book. Uh, you know, it's, it's a long-term process that you need to right. keep building. You can uh, certainly come up with these creative ideas. Stay tuned for my interview with Rob Anderson, who had a brilliant plan, really figured out a good formula. But none of that requires giving $6,000 to some huckster on the internet who's just going to point you to YouTube videos and maybe talk to you a bit, but never move the ball for you. <laughs> Is that how they do it? Yeah, sometimes they just show you free content that's up on YouTube and then laugh as you try to get your credit card company to reject the charges. Yikes. Well, I guess there's like ways to gain the system. Like there's a lot of like emotional point pain points they might tackle, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think if that's what somebody's providing guidance to that, that's worthwhile. But a lot of this is just not that at all. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're just going to listen to you and then say, all right, well, thank you for the money. And you know, Maybe try this. Maybe go try that. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, when you get into these underlists of books and categories on Amazon, you get into the niche corners where only a few books have been published. And uh, one of the other scams that you'll see run is somebody will call you a bestseller based on that, that you are at the top of this Amazon subcategory 
where maybe you've only sold four books, but nobody has sold any other books in that category. So it's just relative to something else, which is you know pretty arbitrary and doesn't really mean anything. So if I'm trying to produce like a quality best-selling book, what would the legitimate metrics be? Uh, that's a great question. So, I mean, to become a bestseller, you know, you have all these different standards for what is a bestseller that itself is, is not specific. You know, the New York times is, is really the gold standard, uh, but it's not like they're going to reveal their methodology. Uh, they don't tell people how they compile their list. Cause just the book being on that list is going to be such a bump in, in sales, uh, that anybody's going to be trying to do it. Uh, you know, some publishers are even known to buy bulk quantities themselves from specific stores that they know or just think are contributing to that list uh, to try to gain their system. And you see a little uh, asterisk next to their name on the bestsellers list, uh, which then becomes a whole another <laughs> outrage cycle over people upset that somebody's calling their sales suspicious. All of that corner efforts would just be better spent promoting the book. Like right, right. People will do so much work to avoid just doing the work in the first place. So what should our listeners watch out for? I mean, I would say the main thing that, that would uh, make me think it's a legitimate outlet is realistic promises, uh, you know, and readily available mm-hmm. contact information. Uh, here at BookBaby, we pride ourselves on both of those things. And we also make it clear what our abilities are. We lay down that demarcation uh, pretty clearly and succinctly and, and uh from there, it's up to the author to make use of the resources that we have and the things that we can actually do for sure. Okay. So what other types of scams can our book baby audience and authors watch out for? Uh, one of the, uh, I wouldn't say fun, but I mean, that's the wrong word, but uh, <laughs> one of them uh, we see all the time is these automated listings. Uh, they get generated based on what's publicly available information. Uh, so mm-hmm. say a listing on Amazon, you know, you, you don't need a password or anything to see that listing. Uh, so they will run a bot that copies information publicly available on Amazon and then paste that on their own page. Uh, put up a buy button, a download now, a free ebook, uh, you know, something that makes it seem like you're getting that ebook for free. Uh, you know, keep in mind it's digital product, there, there's less uh, it's really expected of that purchase. So if you actually click the, you know, free copy of my book button, you're inviting whatever type of malware onto your computer, whatever sort of malicious thing they're trying to do. Uh, and usually, uh, just by looking at the, the site for a second, use some critical reading skills, you can figure out that this is not a legitimate outlet. Uh, usually, they'll have the ASIN posted, which is an Amazon-specific identifying number that is never used anywhere mm-hmm. else but Amazon. So somebody mm-hmm. else having that on our site would be a red flag that this is not legit. So not self-publishing, but in the larger publishing world, folks are celebrating the arrest of an Italian citizen at JFK Airport last week. He's being what? charged with wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. Uh, he was accused of phishing for manuscripts, targeting some of the biggest publishers in the world and going after you know, intellectual property that's going to be worth millions of dollars. Uh, Margaret Atwood's, her, her uh, follow-up to Handmaid's Tale is one of the books targeted. The lens people will go. The lens people <laughs> will go. Speaking to like what happens when you don't you know, believe in your art or your work, just... For sure. Steal others. Pretty wild. And speaking of wild, I want to tell you the story of Rob Anderson, our guest this week. One morning, a few months back, I opened my inbox to find a flurry of activity that started the previous evening when NBA MVP and the all-time three-point champion Steph Curry had tweeted about a book baby title 
Quite honestly, the best thing I have ever seen. Questlove, NPR, and others all flocked to a viral video made by Rob Anderson for his book, The Ferg American National Anthem. When the dust settled, over $30,000 had accrued in royalties, and Book Baby's bestseller of 2021 had been locked in. Joining me now is the author of that book and that viral moment, Rob Anderson. Rob, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, wow, what an intro. <laughs> were you aware that you were a bestseller of 2021? I knew I was on uh, the bestseller portion of the site, but no, I didn't know that for the whole year. So that's, that's very cool. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, so let's start with that book first. Uh, it's what would you call a translation of Fergie's rendition of the Star Spangled Banner at the NBA All-Star Game in 2018. How did you come up with this idea? Yeah, I um, I had made a few children's books before, like fake children's books, uh, as a comedian, as a content creator, and just for video purposes only to make something silly um, that people could enjoy watching. And I, in the past, have paired them up with pop culture moments or internet moments. And uh, this was another iteration of that, but previously i don't think the book baby store was open so this time around i put it up in there and i think the two of those just kind of like aligned in that way it was like a perfect storm i guess okay so how did you initially find book baby i was making a book for the internet meme uh this is for rachel which was a uh, angry voicemail that someone had left a few years ago that went viral on the internet and i thought it would be funny to make that as a children's book. Uh, and so I was just, I think, uh, honestly, maybe some good SEO on your part. <laughs> I had found uh, the book baby through a search and it was really easy to put my um, like, you know, little graphics in that I got from Shutterstock or wherever uh, to make something silly. Uh, and then I used you all again uh, for a book on Lady Gaga. And then already knowing the process of how to make it, uh, it kind of also inspired Oh, what else could I do that people love? What's something else that's even more popular than this niche reference or that niche reference? Um, and the answer was the, the worst um, rendition or best rendition of uh, the Star Spangled Banner. So were you at that game or watching it on TV? I was not at that game. So I am gay uh, and you won't catch me at a, I think it was a basketball game. <laughs> you won't catch me at a basketball game. Um, but I certainly watched the video and was fully obsessed with it when it came out. And, uh, or I think that the like hate that Fergie got for it uh, and the amount of people just really digging into her online was too much for a bad rendition of a song. Like if you sing a song weirdly or poorly, you don't deserve hate for it. You don't deserve people like trying to ruin you forever, but maybe like celebrate it a little, like maybe make fun of it in a way that's like, you know, this is all a little silly. It's just a song. Uh, and I think that's the kind of like tone I was trying to strike with it. Makes sense. I saw that Fergie commented. Was that uh, the most surprising reaction you've seen? Yeah, uh, I mean, Steph Curry tweeting was awesome. And I sent him a whole bunch of books. And uh, the Fergie comment was especially incredible because I did not know how she would, if first of all, she would see something like this um, or how she would take it if she did. I'm sure there's a lot of, um, she just got a lot of crap for it. 
So I don't know if this is digging something up a few years after it's already kind of passed. Um, so seeing that she had a sense of humor about it was awesome. I, I loved it. So did you have this marketing plan in mind the whole time to create a video? I know you're a content creator by trade, so I'd imagine you have some familiarity with how to go about this. Yeah, I, I'm video first. So when I think of an idea, it is for a sketch video for TikTok or Instagram. And uh, once I have the idea together, then I think about, you know, how do I make this thing? And I've done this with board games. I've made fake board games, um, fake posters, uh, all, all sorts of, of fake things that are really uh, at their core, just stupid, like something really silly that people can laugh at. And I had the idea for this one because I had made the books before. Uh, and so it was a, a video first and it only happened to be something I could also sell uh, through the bookshop um, because that was available at the time. And once, those, once I knew that resource was available to sell the book that I was making, then I made a marketing plan where I was like, okay, make sure that this is up in the store uh, and people are able to get it. Um, make sure like, I know I like, can be able to answer questions of how long it will take for people. Cause I've ordered a book and it took so and so long. Uh, and then once, once things are online, like how can I push that further? But I didn't know it would go as viral as it did. Cause I've done this before with the Lady Gaga storybook and that one did fine. And then I sold the physical books that I had bought from book baby to people and mailed them individually. But for this, I just didn't expect it to be something that so many people would love. Um, but it did, I did purposely time it up so they were able to get the book as soon as I posted the TikTok. Awesome. So do you know like how it ends up in front of Steph Curry? Like how, how I know it can be pretty opaque uh, dealing with social media, but you have any idea how that happened? Yeah, I mean, uh, it happened on Twitter because it went viral on Twitter. And I'm on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and now YouTube. And every one of these platforms works in a different way. Uh, and you really never know how it's going to go. You, over time, I've been doing this for two years now. I started uh, at the start of the pandemic. You get a sense for who likes your content more on each of those platforms. And for me, it's always been TikTok, uh, just because the connection to the internet humor uh, and um, just what I'm good at a punchline that's really quick. Like TikTok has always been my thing. And Twitter's just been something else that I occasionally throw something up on. I'll put my videos on there, but they generally don't do, you know, that well on Twitter. But for some reason with that video, a lot of people resonate, like it resonated with a lot of people. And, and because it was shared so frequently, uh, Steph Curry's eyes eventually saw it. I mean, it had to do with the game he was at. Uh, so a lot of people in, in basketball, uh, NBA, um, recognize that and, and get the humor. So I think that's, that's how we saw it. Cool. I was wondering, yeah, I was wondering if you took that into consideration, like who, you know, what players were, uh, you know, going to be in front of their phones at that time, you know, that there's a blackout period during the game where the players aren't allowed to be on social media. Uh, so it'd be you know, real smart time it up right for when they're, uh, they're going back to the locker room. I honestly did not know that. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm a pretty good marketer and planner, like, especially with this, this was certainly my most successful internet thing that I've done. Um, but I w honestly wouldn't even know when they are able to check their phones or not, or if they were even, I don't even know if basketball's on right now. <laughs> like I, it is. I honestly, 
so it was just luck then, I guess. That's awesome. So I, you know, what were you doing that evening? Like when, when did you realize, Oh, this is happening. This worked. Well, I was uh, quite excited the night before because I had put so much work into this dang book. Like I had I hired someone to illustrate it. Um, I, I was very excited about it and the books look great. I wanted the effect of a children's book, like a premium children's book, but it is a joke. So it just, the effect of all of it was exactly what I was trying to do. So I was happy and excited about that. And then the day of, I let it rip on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and it went viral on all three platforms. Like it, it, that was like the holy grail of any content I've ever done. Like all platforms all loved it. So that night I was like, this is cool. <laughs> this is really cool. Um, but I didn't know, um, and, and the sales for the book, I've never sold a book in this way before. I didn't know how sales work. I didn't know what was good or bad. I think when I was selling my Lady Gaga ones, um, just myself, I sold maybe like 50. And I was like, that was pretty good, you know, to sell 50 books. Um, so yeah, I was just kind of like anticipating what would happen. Well, let's talk about those sales. Uh, so I thought probably the smartest part of your entire strategy was to distribute only through Bookshop. Uh, naturally, we have these two options uh, with our POD distribution, uh, where people can go on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, Ingram, with all of the, the traditional outlets where people buy books, and then bookshop uh, only that people can buy. Uh, so it's a little bit cheaper for that option, but you get a much better royalty rate because we're not reliant on Amazon and Ingram, Barnes and Noble. Uh, we can also get you that sales information much sooner. Uh, so did you have that strategy in mind that, you know, this was going to be the better way to do it because you're going to get more royalties? Uh, had you thought about that at all? Or, you know, somebody talked you into it in the sales process? Uh, no, I, yeah, I made the decision myself and I have looked at the Kindle publishing on demand for Amazon. And for this book in particular, any of these like children's books that I've made, um, Book Baby has more to offer than Amazon in a few in a few ways, and this all um, ended up being a good read on my part. So, uh, first, the the quality of the book. Uh, I've tested samples from Amazon's print on demand, and for something where you want like the colors to look really good and uh, the dust jacket, like Amazon doesn't offer a hardcovers with a dust jacket. I wanted it to look like a children's book, like a fresh beautiful premium children's book because the content is so not that. <laughs> so uh, Book Baby delivers that and Amazon doesn't even offer some of those things. So that was a no brainer. Um, and yeah, I just the quality, I wanted the quality to be good. I, uh, the 50% the royalties was a definite plus, but it, I wanted something to be really good. And then the money would follow versus like, let me see like the best deal I can get and where um, it just ended up working out that way. Interesting. Yeah, I think for Bookshop, uh, really the best way to use it is, is in your situation where you already have followers and can push them out to places. You know, obviously the amount of browsing traffic is going to be less than Amazon or one of these other outlets. Uh, but you really, you know, use Bookshop exactly the way we want people to use it. Um, so I was curious, had you, you said you didn't really do the math as to royalties or anything? Well, I knew that it would be 50% because there's a royalty calculator on your site. And I would play with it a bit with different iterations of the book and like how many royalties would I get? 
if this was the case, and I mean, it's always 50% with BookBaby, unless you added the um, option to do other booksellers like Amazon and whatnot. Um, but I knew that anyone that was buying this book I was making only got to this site because I, they saw the video of it. And right. it's the best marketing you can do. The video was the book. So people are going to that site that you're sending them anywhere you send them, and they're going to buy it because they're already obsessed with the thing that you just made. So that doesn't matter where you're bringing them. So once it was there on BookBaby, like that's where they were going to buy that book. Uh, and that was my instinct. And it was the case. You know, no, if someone saw the video and they didn't understand the reference or really get it, they would never be clicking to buy the book anyway. So it didn't matter where they went. Yeah. And so I did the math for you a little bit. Okay. Uh, so we have about 170 books that have a configuration that closely match yours uh, with the uh, you know, hardcover, dust jacket, all that. Uh, they make an average about $1.61 per copy sold on Amazon. Uh, so you would have needed to have sold 15,000 copies uh, on Amazon, uh, which the amount of money you made for 1,500 copies sold on Bookshop. Yeah, I, for the nature of the, the material I write, which is humor and satire, those sorts of things aren't what I'm not looking to get on a New York Times bestseller list with the types of things that I do. Uh, I just um, want people to have something that they enjoy and find, you know, that they had fun watching this video. Now they want this book. I timed it up right around the holidays because if you aren't going to buy it for yourself, you're certainly going to buy it for somebody you had a laugh about with this video two years ago. And now you're going to get them the gift and surprise it to them. Maybe they sent you the video you laughed at it, you went to the link and you're like, I'm going to buy them the book for the holidays. So all these things were kind of in consideration with my marketing mind of what to do. Um, and the other thing that I realized about this is when it comes to prices and it comes to what you would think, um, like what should you price a book at for people to buy it? And uh, does it compete with other books that are of that type? As a content creator, like I assume that people will just buy the thing. And I went with my gut on that because, I mean, a $35 hardcover joke book sounds like a lot of money. Like you look at good books that are in New York Times bestsellers that are hardcover and they're really nice and they're $15. You're like, wow, people are spending $15 for a really good book that everyone loves. Should I be pricing my book at $35? Like you can't think that way because people want to buy the thing that you're already promoting. It's about like you and the thing that you're doing that's special and believing that people will buy the price that I put it at was a hard thing. Cause I'm like, Oh, am I losing out on people that would buy this for $10? You know, I mean, it wasn't an option because it was like hardcover and all the other bells and whistles with it. But uh, I'm glad that I stuck with $35. Yeah. It's great to be able to, you know, know the value of your own work. Uh, you know, uh, it's really difficult to do uh, in your line of profession where things aren't really as monetized and you're just trying to figure it out as you go. So tell me about gay science. That's your TikTok show. There are shows on TikTok. I, I, sorry, too old for this. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I guess I, I had called it a show somewhere. Um, uh, uh, yeah, it's my show on TikTok. I, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I started creating comedy videos over the pandemic I was working full-time for a company doing marketing. I've done marketing for like about 12 years now professionally. And I had to create a TikTok for my work and I was good at it. And so then I just started making it for myself. Then I put it on all the other platforms and then that became my career. 
And one of those videos was a, um, a joke satire on like a science show where this guy explains gay stereotypes with fake science. And the first one I did was, um, why do gay men love iced coffee? Which to me is just such a funny um, stereotype. And I'm like, what if I try to explain this with science that's like kind of real, but it's kind of not. This is gay science. In today's episode, why do gay men like iced coffee? There are two components of an iced coffee that satisfy the biological traits of the gay man. First, the temperature. The cooler drink is preferred because gay bodies naturally run warmer. Gay men average 0.3 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than their straight counterparts. This is due to carrying the emotional stress of all their friends' real-life drama, knowing the details of their workplace drama, as well as the fictional drama of at least a dozen reality shows. Uh, and people loved it. And then I just started repeating that because there are so many different gay stereotypes over 30 episodes over two years. Um, and it's become my most popular content. Uh, and um, now I'm trying to up my game here. And I started getting more serious about YouTube. They, I started posting it on there and they love it. So I'm going to make like really nice longer videos for it. So yeah, that's my little, like, um, that's my most successful series, I'd say. So how did you get go about building that audience? I, uh, let's see, I've been in social for a bit for companies, but I personally have never looked at social media and went, oh, this is where I'm going to make my career. Like, this is where I'm going to uh, do my thing. This will be my job. I don't know why I never looked at it that way. I think it felt very daunting. Like you see how many people have subscribers on YouTube. Everything you see as content creators on the internet felt like if you are not massive and tons of people um, are following you and you know who you are when they think of YouTube or Instagram, then why bother? That was like kind of my thought for a bit. And then once TikTok allowed me to realize that there are huge audiences out there and if there is an algorithm that can send my stuff out there, it can work for me. Uh, and I, I think that really is what started to click um, because I, I write things for um, gay people. Uh, it, most of the time it's humor that gay people would get that sometimes straight people also enjoy and sometimes not. And I didn't think that was something that I can make a career out of on the internet, but um, so far I've been proven wrong, I guess. So how are you able to monetize TikTok and Instagram? The, um, the book, the uh, Ferg American National Anthem was the best thing okay. <laughs> I ever did for my career, like financially. And I was not anticipating it to be that way. Um, and it changed that last fall when I had the idea for the book and I saw the sales, it changed the way that I now am thinking of content. Because if I can tie something special in with the content of the video and sell that thing, that is how I can make a living. Um, because the way that I monetize, it, it, it's through a whole bunch of ways. First, the lowest one is ad revenue from um, the videos that you're posting directly from those networks or those social networks. And I just kind of started on YouTube and I know that that's supposed to be significant, but it's a little tiny bit for me. TikTok, same thing. Um, they pay you per views on your videos and um, some months it's okay. And then some like just don't know what the performance of the videos will be. Um, and uh, then brand deals come in through my agent and I sometimes take them and sometimes don't. It's a thing where I, um, you don't want to overload too many ads to the people that follow you. And you want those things to feel real. Like I want to like the thing that I'm posting about. 
And I want to post about it and create content for them in a way that is very close to me. And some brands aren't like that. They're really dry. Um, they're really cheesy and corny. And I, I mean, ads are already that way. So sometimes I take those. And that's basically kind of been the balance here. And then I've been using money that I've had saved up. Uh, but then just this last fall, I created a, um, a Mark Throb. So it's like a playoff of my handle, Heart Throb. Um, a, a, um, a merch store where I could sell some of the images from videos that I've made before. And people really like that. And then the book, like uh, the book really did change everything. Like, honestly, um, that it made it more of a sustainable career. Glad to hear that. <laughs> so how does the merch site work? What, what platform is that being run on? There are companies that set up merch stores for you and they do all the heavy lifting. They set up your site. They help design, design for all of the shirts uh, or wherever else you're putting your logo or design. Um, they give you advice on pricing. They ship out the things like they do everything. They take their credit card. You just get paid whatever percentage. And I looked into doing that, but I am a very particular person, like uh, to a fault. I'm, I'm very anal and I like things the way I like them. And I know that if I were to be put, working with someone to put up a merch store, it would be, um, uh, I, I would be annoying to work with for them. Like I would be so particular. I'm like, why don't I just do this myself? And I was naturally curious. So I put up, I, uh, put up a Shopify and it wasn't that difficult, um, but I was able to customize anything I wanted. I, it, it was, I could put exactly what I wanted on a store, how I wanted it. And you can integrate it into Instagram as a shop. Um, and now you can integrate it into TikTok videos as a shop. Uh, so Shopify, there are a lot of good connections with that. Um, I hired designers for the shirts. It was like a little bit of a, a fun process, but now I have this store that at any time I can put things up in there and sell it. I did signed copies of the Ferg American National Anthem and the Gaga book that I would ship out to people. So Awesome. Yeah, it looks great. Uh, so what should our listeners look out for next? Right now, you can look at the first full-length episode of Gay Science on YouTube. My YouTube is Rob Anderson. There's also a second Rob Anderson who's a magician. <laughs> uh, so I'm the non-magician. <laughs> hate to tell you, there's probably a lot. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there's like, well, there's two of us on YouTube and we're about the same audience um, numbers. So I'm the non-magician. non, I'm the non um, uh, And check that out. Uh, uh, and let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, that's probably what's coming up next. I have some ideas for some books in my head, of course. Uh, but they um, tie into content that maybe isn't ready. It's like in my brain, there's like a, like a step ladder of like, I need this, then this, then this. But a lot of fun stuff to come. All right. Well, sounds good. We'll throw the link to your YouTube channel in the show notes here. Oh. I actually want to give some advice for anybody that um, is thinking of using TikTok to promote a book or uh, make content with their book in it. What I think really helped with some of these sales and it was creating the video, letting it roll on TikTok and getting the views. And then I paid to promote that video and added a link as a shopping link. And that was to the book baby site, to the book. So anyone seeing the video went to the site. So it was a direct line of communication between the content and the sale. And I really think that that juiced a lot of sales and it was pretty inexpensive. 
So uh, rather than like looking into buying ads on your TikTok, post it, wait a bit so it gets the free views and then pay to promote it. Okay, good advice then. And uh, otherwise you can buy ads from BookBaby directly. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for your time, Rob. And that was BookBaby author Rob Anderson. What'd you think, Jazz? I thought it was really incredible how he managed to infuse his comical persona into his content and then build a real authentic following for his book. It's refreshing to see someone create a way to connect through these newer social media platforms and watch it grow into something really satisfying. That's what I thought. For sure. I, I thought the biggest takeaway, which kind of fits in what we were talking about at the top of the episode, is that this isn't a thing that happened overnight. You know, Rob was hustling, creating mm -hmm. content for years, building an audience. And, you know, there's certainly luck involved, but he had a plan that gave him the best chance and he saw his opportunity and cashed in. And before he did any of that, he already had a second book that he was getting ready. I'm really excited to see that come out. Love adding new books to the list to read for sure. What are you reading now? Right now, it's uh, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk. It's a great read on psychological rehabilitation of trauma in the body. If you like wellness, self-help, taking care of yourself, that's a, a book worth checking out. Cool. Add that to my list. And uh, I also wanted to shout out uh, the book, We Can All Decorate the Same Tree by Janine Jones. So I buy one of our books each year, one of our book baby titles for my nieces to give them for Christmas and you know, tell them, hey, this is what, this is what I do for work. Uh, uh -huh. And that was the book this year. and They absolutely loved it. Uh, that book can be purchased on Bookshop. So shout out to her. All right. Well, I think that's a good spot to leave off for now. As always, like, subscribe, follow the Book Baby Spotlight podcast and recommend us to your friends. If you're interested in publishing with Book Baby, our staff wants to hear from you. They're available at info at bookbaby.com or 877-961-6878. And we've got a coupon for you. Use the code 100 off book. That's 100 O-F-F-B-O-O-K for $100 off 100 copies of your book. Thanks to our sales supervisor, Patrick Aylward, for that. And thanks also go out to Rob Anderson. His books, including Ferg American National Anthem, can be found exclusively on the Book Baby Bookshop. He can be found on Instagram and TikTok. His handle is heartthrobanderson on both. Thanks to our producer, Chad Hinson. And also thanks to you, Jasmine. How was your first episode of the Book Baby Spotlight? It's great. Glad to be here. All right, and one more plug for you. Check out the book baby president emeritus, Stephen Spatz, on an upcoming episode of The Novelist Spotlight, hosted by book baby author Mike Consul. And check back here in February for another episode of the Book Baby Spotlight. Stay safe, everyone.